By any account, the 20th century was the bloodiest in history. Six million Jews were murdered by the Nazis, 30 million Russians died in the purges of Stalin, thousands and thousands more in Pol Pot's killing fields, not to mention that hundreds and hundreds of thousands killed in wars from World War I to Operation Desert Storm. And all indications are the 21st century will be even more bloody and violent than the last. From the violence and murder perpetrated in the streets, to the savage murder of unborn children in our nation's abortuaries, to the gratuitous violence and murder incessantly portrayed daily on American TV screens and in movie theaters, we are a culture that is awash in death. Tonight, we're going to address this culture of death as we take a look at the Sixth Commandment. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Hey, we want to thank you for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints as we continue on in our series on the Ten Commandments. Tonight we're going to start a three-part show on the Sixth Commandment and talk about its implications for our personal lives and, uh, of course, a number of its social implications. Tonight, as usual, joining us for our discussion is Reverend Adam Kalustian from Ontario United Reformed Church and Reverend Moses Genbazian from Pasadena URC. And I'm John Sautel, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church. We're talking about the Sixth Commandment tonight. Let's begin by just reading the commandment. It's quite short and simple. The Sixth Commandment is, Thou shalt not kill. I think as we begin this discussion, I think we have to make it very clear what this commandment is referring to. What kind of killing is it prohibiting? Well, in particular, it is dealing with the individual desire for revenge or personal gain. And that's really where the restriction comes in. And it has to be read and understood in that way because otherwise you have massive contradictions in the scriptures where God is ordering holy war to take place, where the Israelites go in and take the land, where he gives warrant to the state or to at least to the magistrate to exact revenge if there has been murder. So we have to understand it in the context. This is dealing with the idea that God has made all life precious in his image and therefore it is not to be taken lightly and human beings are not to be considered disposable assets, ones that can be just killed off when they are inconvenient. Well, the Hebrew word uh, standing behind this word kill is ratzak, which is a very specific word as well. I think that's one of the things that help us differentiate this from various other kinds of killing because there's uh, numerous words that were used in the original language to describe certain kinds of killing and slaying of other human beings and, of course, animals and so forth. But this is a very, as, as you note, Uh, Moses, this is a very intentional uh, taking of someone's life out of anger, hatred, malice, sense of revenge, or whatever. It's an unjust, illegal, immoral taking of human life. And we also deal with it not simply as the taking of life, but also what God has prohibited. That means its opposite is to be promoted. So it's not simply that you abstain from taking life and you fulfill the commandment. You also have to consider that the reason the taking of life is wrong is that all men are created in the image of God, and therefore 
What you need to be looking for is how you may be of benefit to others rather than simply abstaining from killing them. Okay, you're bringing something out here that's very important. And I think we need to go ahead and because this is the backdrop uh, which sets the context for the proper understanding of this commandment and this prohibition against killing and murder and so forth. And that is the importance of life. See, what's being contrasted here is some is fundamentally a worldview, a, a, a way of looking at reality which says that life is meaningful. Why is it meaningful? Goes all the way back to the creation. Life is meaningful because God made us for a purpose. God does all things in accordance with his will and all is very good. And he made us to be his image bearers and to be the rulers over the earth. And therefore, all men without distinction have been created for this purpose. Now, granted, we are fallen in sin, rebellious against God, but that is for God to judge. We are merely servants, and we are not free to act as judge just because we have personal dislike or animosity towards anyone. So what you have to see, then, is the beauty of life and what God has created us to do, and it is not for us to cut someone's life short and keep them from obeying the commands of God. Okay, well, one of the things here is how do we distinguish or differentiate between forms of life which have meaning and value over against other forms that do not? The reason why I ask the question like that is because you have a, a famous philosopher not named uh, Peter Singer at, at Princeton, who is an, the head of their um, ethics department and philosophy, is, makes all kinds of outlandish statements, but among them is that animals fu- basically have as much uh, value, inherent value in their life as humans, and that infants um, really should not be protected. Not, I'm not talking about unborn infants. I'm talking about living infants shouldn't be protected uh, under prohibitions against murder because they have no ability to foresee or to forethink or to calculate, evaluate. They're not rational beings yet, so apparently they don't have an inherent value in and of themselves, or the life has no inherent value. How do we as Christians make the argument for the inherent value of something to uh, possess life and, and be protected? Well, we need to first agree that all forms of creation have dignity because they are made by the same creator, the glorious, the beautiful one. Uh, but not all forms of life have equal value. And just we've mentioned it a few times already, but from the Scripture God, in creating man, especially said, Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So why we would say that all forms of life, be it animal life, plant life, or even the creation itself, which in some cases is inanimate, like a rock, all of it has dignity because it belongs to the Creator. But human dignity is especially valuable and ought to be especially protected because it reflects the image of God. For some of the reasons that you said, intellectual capacity, emotional capacity, personality, that all reflects the three persons of the one true eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We would argue with this man and say that because babies do not display a mature form of intellect or emotion or personality does not mean that they're devoid of it. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway 
Go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you want to be wise unto salvation and learn to live for God's glory, you need the Word of God. And that's why I'm inviting you to come worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. Hi, my name is Pastor John Sautel. I'm pastor of All Saints Reformed Church out in Walnut, California. We can't promise you you'll be entertained with high-energy music or thrilling performances or exciting worship or trendy programs, but we will promise you that you'll get the Bible. Because in our worship, we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. If you want to come to know God through His Word and to grow in His grace and knowledge, then we invite you to worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. For more information, call us at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or check us out on the web at allsaintsreformed.org. Welcome back after the break tonight on Sinners and Saints. We're glad you're joining us and sitting in on this discussion here on the Ten Commandments, particularly on the Sixth Commandment, Thou Shalt Not Kill. Very important and relevant commandment for our society and culture at large today. But before we get into the broader social implications and societal implications of this command, I think it's very important for us to pause and look at uh, the depths of this commandment so we see uh, its radical application. What I mean by radical is not its cool application, but its deep, heartfelt, penetrating application uh, to our own souls. It's so easy for us when we look at this commandment uh, and we get our checklist uh, mentality and how we're keeping the commandments uh, operating. Uh, we get out the old the pen and mark off the checkbox there that, no, we haven't uh, killed anybody, so at least we've got one commandment we must be doing uh, pretty decently at because we know we hadn't murdered anybody. But, you know, Jesus takes on that very mentality on the Sermon on the Mount and shows the deeper roots and application of this command and uh, prohibition against murder. And basically, he says, murder is not just something that happens as an external act through the shedding of blood uh, through violent means, but it's something that actually resides in the heart. Right, Matthew 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says to his brother, you fool, shall be in danger of the hellfire itself. So you see, Jesus, when he reads, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, he who wrote the commandment explains the commandment and says it extends further than just the outward action of murder. But the root of all murder is also forbidden in the commandment, the hatred, unjust anger, violence that's in our hearts the bitterness toward other people that is undeserved. This is what Jesus forbids in this commandment, and that's why it exposes us for the sinners that we really are. Yeah, it, it's very easy to become hypocritical about this commandment, as we've already talked about, but the fact of the matter is the Bible is very frank and honest with Christians about the necessity uh, to be watchful against the deep roots of this commandment in our own heart. Not only does Jesus warn against it, but the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, as he's discipling these young Christians in the faith, uh, in terms of how they need to work out the Christian life in their, in their own experience, says in Colossians 3, he says, 
Um, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Now, the first three words in that verse there, the first three things that he says to put away, are all related to this uh, root cause of murder, anger, wrath, and malice. Now, the assumption here that the Apostle Paul is working with is that this is something that's resident in the hearts of all Christians. So we're not free or exempt from this command just because we didn't lay hands on somebody and cut their head off. Well, keep in mind also, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of loving your neighbor has to be used when you're trying to understand what it means you shall not murder. It means not only abstaining from killing him, not only are you not to hate or desire revenge, but you are actually to have a real love for your neighbor. And that love is not simply well wishes, but it has to be able to be manifested tangibly where you do things for the good of others in a manner in which is it going to cost you. Whether materially or emotionally, we are called to be one body, love one another, and that is a very, very big call. There's all kinds of places in the scripture where the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and especially thou shalt not murder, is applied. You think of the book of James, talking about our speech, speech with evil speech that flows forth from that murderous heart. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell itself. No man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image of God. So when we say you should not murder physically, violently, another person because they are made in the image of God, part of what we're saying is that we should not speak evil against them, flowing forth from that that evil, murderous heart within us that hates our neighbor naturally. So it's very important for us not to trivialize this commandment by saying, oh, it just has this very simplistic, narrow application to life. Actually, uh, we all have to wrestle, even as Christians, with breaking this commandment. And I would suspect that most of us on a daily basis have to wrestle with at least the attitudes which this commandment is prohibiting. And uh, it seems to me that we're far too willing to sort of casually speak about anger and malice and even jealousy as if, oh, these are just, you know, petty little problems that, you know, sort of a we need a little mop up operation in our life, maybe. uh, But we don't take it very seriously. I think it's impossible to take it seriously in the natural mind to simply just say, oh, I think I understand rather It is when the Spirit of God convicts you of how sinful you are that you understand these things. And so it's good to look at these things within the context of Scripture as a whole. Why did Christ die? Well, he didn't die just because we were not adequately prepared. He died because we were dead in sin. And so we have to understand this is one of those sins that it speaks of where it says you are dead in this sin. You are incapable of rescuing yourself from hate. You cannot love then therefore we must take seriously this call that we are to be entirely different from what we see around us. We are to be holy and Christ-like and love our neighbors. And because we can't fulfill that, we are in need of a redeemer to give us life. Well, we also have to watch out for displaced outrage too. It's very easy in our society today, particularly in the context in which we live of the so-called war on terrorism and all this, to have all this outrage against people like Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden's and decry the murder and all the, the senseless brutality and the killings involved in all of this. And we should rightly be angry and hostile towards that. 
but it's so easy for us to displace our, 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 the proper focus of our own policing of our lives and our sins by getting angry at the Mussolinis, the Hitlers, the Stalins, and the Husseins and all these people. Never realize the same principles are operational in our right. own heart as Christians. Right. Meantime, we live in with bitterness in our own heart right. the whole week, and we have no problem just outbursting in anger at those our spouses, our children, our coworkers, whoever. And that's why this sin is something we need to be aware of and repent of and seek the forgiveness and grace of Christ and remove it and replace it uh, with godly qualities that are pleasing unto him. So when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about the positive implications of the Sixth Commandment. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org. Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything, and if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of Orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity. We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019. Hey, thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints. Uh, by the way, if you want to get in touch with us, call us at 866-99-UNITED. We'd love to sit down and talk with you, uh, get introduced to you, talk with you about Reformed Theology. Hey, I want to talk to you iPod people out there, people that are downloading broadcasts onto your uh, personal listening devices. We have the shows, the archives of the shows on sinnersaint.org now, downloadable to your computer that you can burn onto a CD or you can burn it onto your personal player. You could tell your friends about it too, so feel free to go to sinnersaint.org and download the past shows. All right. So you can join the rest of this discussion on the Ten Commandments, but tonight we're dealing with the sixth, thou shalt not kill. We talked about uh, the what this commandment ne- means in actual application in terms of the uh, needless, uh, vengeful, immoral, angry taking of other people's lives, but also beyond that to the roots of this command that murder is something really that flows out of the heart and that within each one of us is an impulse uh, to be murderous and that we have to watch that and to repent of it daily, mortify it, put it off. But we also need to more than just mortify it and put it off and repent of it. We need to replace those attitudes and uh, promote the positive aspect of this command, which is the promotion of life the uh, promotion and general welfare of not only our own bodies, but of others, but also the positive attitudes that uh, are consistent with this command. And so the Heidelberg Catechism, for instance, says in 107, but is this all that is required that we don't kill our neighbor? And it says no. For in condemning envy, hatred, anger, God requires us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, kindness toward him, and to prevent his hurt as much as possible, also to do good even to our enemies. 
Yeah, and you have some of the qualities listed there that are the opposite of murderous qualities. Justice and gentleness and peaceableness. These are the Christ-like qualities that we ought to put on in contrast to our murderous and hateful, uh, sinful old habits. It also talks about, on, on the, I think, on the positive side of this commandment, and another question says that, um, that I lay aside all desire for revenge, moreover, that I do not harm myself nor willfully run into any danger. You see, just as we are called to promote the general welfare and health so much as we are able of our neighbor, it also calls upon us to do that with respect to ourselves and our own bodies. Now, I know that it's real possible to get very legalistic here and to rush into a bunch of extremes and set up a long list of do's and don'ts and approved behavior and so forth. But the gist of the commandment is something you need to get a hold of in terms of its positive application. Uh, and, and it speaks very relevantly to our society today that we ought to be very careful about subjecting ourselves to uh, entertainments, recreations, things like that, that actually do put us in the way of needlessly harming our bodies. Yeah, what you have to consider is that you were created by God and you belong to him. And especially as a believer, you've been purchased by Christ, and therefore you are not free to endanger yourself. You actually have a service to do for God because he has created you and redeemed you for that. And if you endanger yourself in such a manner that you are now laid up where everybody else has to tend to you because of your stupidity and recklessness, you are depriving God's kingdom of the hands that you were to use for his glory. Now, this is a very important and relevant message today when you see all this um, thrill-seeking, reckless, extreme kind of recreation being glamorized, especially to our youth culture today that takes virtually no thought for your physical well-being because it's thought to be cool or fun or extreme or whatever to subject yourself to a near-death experiences. And the person who gets closest to it is the coolest and looked up as the great idol that all the rest of the kids are supposed to run around, look at, and, and emulate. And that's a completely wrong-headed idea of how God calls us to promote the, our own health, welfare, and personal safety. Yeah, we have to go back and focus on what it was saying earlier, is that we are to love our neighbors, be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, kind. And that these are the qualities that we need to be working on. These are the things that might not, you know, they might not televise as well. But certainly, these are the qualities of the believer that are to be nurtured. And these are the fruits of the Spirit that we are to desire to grow in. And that is, believe it or not, tied into the commandment, you shall not murder. Your desire is for the good of others. And you, what you will do is you will treat them in a loving manner. You will forgive them their sins. You will be quick to admit your fault and ask for their forgiveness. You will treat them gently when they have fallen and you will raise them up. All these things are tied into that commandment, which is the very opposite of hating them or even being amused by their failures. You want to do everything for their good because they are made in the image of God. But you realize that that's not a very popular uh, message today because it seems like the coolest people are the ones who are tough and they're not they're not kind in that way. They're not forgiving. They're the leader of the pack mentality, whereas... You're fired. Yeah, I mean, that's what's glamorized <laughs> and thought to be what's really hip and cool and something that we should all emulate. But, you know... Is it really shocking that the world would have, you know, anti-God, anti-Christian values as their <laughs> ideal? I mean, it's to be expected. Our thing is we are to be against the world and for God, and therefore we will stick out. Our, our ethics must come from Scripture and not from the examples we see around us. 
And so when you think about it, this sixth commandment has a lot of important and broad ramifications for our own lives and not for ourselves, but also for others, and then branching out beyond that even unto society. So we want you to think about that. Tonight on Sinners and Saints, we've been talking about the Sixth Commandment. Stay tuned with us next week as we take on the issue of the societal and social implications of the Sixth Commandment. By the way, if you want to get in touch with us, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Also, check us out on the web at sinnersaint.org. Sinnersaint.org. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.